this sermon, I just want to recognize that we're, this is actually a very uh, important weekend in our society, in our nation. It is the weekend where we remember the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, he was a man who lived and called our nation to live up to our own ideals. Um, and, and those ideals are that all are created equal and endowed with their, by their creator with certain and unalienable rights. Um, all too often, we've failed to live up to that. It, and there's a lot of racial tension still in our, in our society. And so what, what I just want to do is I want to pause and I want to pray that as the church, we would be able to embody and to proclaim the solution to this problem. And that is that God has for himself a people from every tongue, tribe, family, and nation who he's bringing together. And one day at the end of time, all of the nations are going to gather around the throne of King Jesus. And there was going to be, every week I say, there's going to be people who are different ethnicities. There's going to be people who had different political opinions. There's going to be people of all different, they, they had different amounts of money in this life, but they're all going to be equalized at the cross and at the throne of Jesus. As a church, every time we gather, we proclaim the heart of God to bring together for himself a people from the nations across lines of ethnicity, political difference, all sorts of socioeconomic differences, age differences, and we gather together. Because in the, in the gospel and in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither rich nor poor, male nor female, there is not Republicans and Democrats and old and young, there is only Christ and those found in him. So let's just pray, let's just pause for a moment and we'll pray and then we'll get into the sermon. I just ask, Lord, that you would help us as a church to embody and to proclaim the truth of the gospel that the same gospel that reconciles us to you through Christ reconciles us to one another in Christ. And I pray we, as a church, continue to live out and embody that truth as we live out our identity as a diverse community brought together under the banner of King Jesus and his death for our sins, his resurrection, and his impending return. Lord, we just thank you that we are not defined by our sin. We're not defined by anything that would normally... we think would define us. Ultimately, we are defined by Jesus. And so I just thank you for the legacy uh, of, of this opportunity this weekend to think about that and as the church to embody that and to embrace that in a way that the world can't explain and can't understand. The church should be leading the way in this area, and I pray that we would in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles... Hold on to them. We're going to be going all over the place, okay? So maybe you use like old school print Bible, like big heavy print Bible. Maybe your Bible uh, looks a lot like your smartphone and you have your app. That's fine. However you read it is fine with me. Um, so just hold on to it. We're going to be going to a number of different places. When I was a kid, we used to do these things called sword drills. I don't know if anyone did sword drills where they would call out a verse and whoever got there first got like a hot tamale, like those candy hot tamales. And so, like, we're going to be doing some sword drills. I got some candy in, back here. And whoever gets there first, you know, just raise your hand. Um, and then you always had the people with, like, the cheater tabs, you know. And it's not fair. They have the cheater tabs, you know. And, like, uh, anyway, we're going to be going all over the place. So just hang in there for just a second. On April 26th, there's a very important event happening. I don't know if you know what that is. Does anyone know what's happening April 26th? April 26th is the release of the last Avengers movie. Avengers Endgame is coming out. Now, see, I'm married well, 
And my wife actually is as into the, the Marvel superhero movies as I am. And so we're very excited about that. We're going to try to pre-order tickets and go see it. Um, Avengers Endgame is the last movie. It's a follow-up to the movie Avengers Affin Infinity War, which came out last year. Um, and they just keep putting out. There's been like 20 of them. Why? Because a, bil a billion dollars in revenue every time they release one of these movies. But they're, they're fun. They're, they're, they're interesting. They're exciting. You got these you know, superheroes. You got Iron Man, Captain America, Black Panther, Spider-Man, the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and the storyline is they're trying to stop this bad guy, Thanos, from like destroying half of the universe's population. That's the storyline. And, uh, and it's this epic battle and all that. But it's, what's really funny is if you Google forgotten superpowers, you'll find like an article I found this week, 20 superpowers the Avengers forgot they had in the movie, the last Avengers movie. And it's like any one of these superpowers would have stopped the bad guy in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Now, the problem is you don't make a billion dollars on a movie that's only 10 minutes long and the bad guy loses. So there's like this list of all these things they could have done, all of these superpowers, these weapons, these, these tools they had at their disposal to defeat the bad guy that they didn't make use of because it made it a better movie. But I think it's also a good illustration of a principle in our lives, and that is that God has put all of these tools in our spiritual toolkit for the spiritual renovation project, the spiritual growth project that he's called us to. And I think one of those, maybe the most forgotten of those, is the spiritual practice we're going to talk about this morning, and that's the spiritual practice of fasting. Fasting. I think of all of the practices of the spiritual life and all of the biblical disciplines, we neglect fasting um, consistently and, and all across, across the board. Two weeks ago, we talked about Bible reading. It's like the footing and the foundation of our Christian life, that we have to hear from God before he can... It's more important, as, as I quoted uh, Dr. Donald Whitney to say, that... It's more important for us to hear from God than for God to hear from us. So we, we start with the foundation of listening to God in the word of God in the Bible, and then we speak back to God. We pray and we answer back to God, and that's prayer. And so, so we, we talked about, and, and as we talked about those in the last couple of weeks, those probably weren't like a surprise to you, like saying to you, you should read your Bible and pray. You're like, yes, I know. I try to do that. Now, this third one, it may not be surprising to you, but it's not one that you really want to think about, but it's one that I think that it's like, a, it's like a forgotten superpower. It's like a forgotten power tool that God has given us to grow spiritually. If Bible reading is like that, I talked about when I was in, you know, in college and I worked this, with this construction guy in our church, and we would pour these concrete footings in, in, in Northern California. They build what's called a subfloor, not just pour a slab of concrete and you'd pour these concrete footings and then on top of them you would nail down these wood planks called joists you know vertically and then on top of that you would screw down plywood and that would form this subfloor foundation of whatever else was going to be built you know the house or whatever you were working on i think bible readings like that concrete footing anchoring you anchoring you down. And then prayer is built on top of that. Your, your, Bible re your Bible reading fuels your life of prayer. You hear from God in the Bible and you, you speak the scripture back to him and your, your prayers are shaped by the scripture. Well, I think 
Fasting is sort of like screwing down that plywood on top of the joist to form that, that layer of the foundation of your Christian life. It's, it's something that we forget, but something that is really, really critical to our Christian life. Um, it's actually, if you know anything about fasting, um, maybe you've heard sermons on it, maybe you've studied a little bit spiritually, but it's also super trendy in our culture. It's super trendy. Like everybody and their brother is like, you got to do keto with intermittent fasting and that's how you're going to lose weight. And I tried it. Look, it worked so well for me. Um, it's like everybody wants to fast. Everybody has this idea. You know, you talk about you, health, like m mental health, wellness. They talk about fasting as sort of like this, this healthy practice to have uh, in your life. And, and I think sometimes you see Christians and churches practicing fasting, but I think it's way, way too seldom. I think that it's a forgotten power tool in our spiritual toolkit. Now, I know we're going to talk about fasting this morning, and for some of you, this might as well be like, you know, another language because you're not familiar with the Bible. You're not sure what you think about the Bible. You're, maybe you're confused. Maybe you're not clear. Maybe you're skeptical, and, and you're, you're not a Christian yet. You're, you're here, but you're, you're not quite sure what it's all about. Maybe you're checking it out. Maybe a friend brought you, and I understand where you're at. I want to be, you know, say I get where you're at. It's okay that that's where you're at. You're in the right place, and all I want to ask of you is two things. The first is just be like genuinely like listen to what I'm going to say. Just listen to what I'm going to say, um, what we're going to talk about, and then just be open-minded about it. That's all I'm asking you. If you're not sure, you're skeptical, just listen and be open-minded, and then let's take it from there. If you are a Christian, I actually want to ask you the same thing. I want you to listen, and I want you to be open-minded, because the reality is, as soon as you talk about fasting, the other one is Bible memorization. People automatically go like, well, that's not something that I can do. And, and there's this whole litany of excuses why this is not a practice that you're going to be able to implement in your life. And maybe you've already kind of had that conversation with yourself. So let's just like beep, back the truck up a little bit. Just pause and listen and be open-minded because I think Jesus wants you to change your mind about fasting if that's where you're at. I think he wants you to make this a regular habit and a regular practice in your Christian life. So I want to talk to you this morning about the fact that you can fast, and then I want to try to convince you why you should fast, and then I want to talk about some practical strategies for how to fast. So first of all, you can fast. You can fast. I promise you, you can fast. Every one of you who's ever had blood work done has fasted. Every one of you fasts for hours and hours every single day from when you go to sleep to when you wake up. You fast every day between breakfast and lunch and between lunch and dinner, depending on how much you snack, you know, maybe it's like three hours, four hours, six hours. Sometimes you forget to eat breakfast. You don't have time. You fast every single day on accident. You fast, you can fast and you do fast every single day. Fasting is just abstaining from food. Spiritual fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. And it's actually, if you look at religious practice, it is found across the board in religious practice. Religions across the board have some sort of practice of abstaining from food for a religious reason. Even in our culture, what is our culture's religion? 
Our culture's primary religion is like science and self, like science and self. That's what our religious worldview is kind of culturally uh, across the board, big picture. And so now you see fasting as a practice that's encouraged for health and mental well-being and productivity because that is the religion of our day. There's a, there's a, a religious purpose, the religious of self, making yourself better is our religion and fasting is a way to get there. And I think all of this points to the fact that God has made us. He has wired us with an innate understanding that we are supposed to, from time to time, deny ourselves and seek Him beyond what we need physically for a temporary amount of time. Christian fasting has a very specific purpose, and that's to seek the triune God, the Father who sent His Son to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to be buried and raised from the dead so that all who would turn from their sin and trust in him would have eternal life. If God, if God has done this for us and he calls us to seek him, we're going to see in just a minute, then what matters more than that? Is What matters more than that? You can fast because you're made by God to fast. God has designed you to fast from time to time and seek him through fasting. Job 23, 12. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. Very practically, you can fast. The question is, do you want to fast? Because the reality is the reason this is a forgotten power tool or superpower in our, in our sort of spiritual renovation toolkit is because we don't want to do it because it's not fun. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, getting up early or getting up semi-early, depending on, you know, the kids, sometimes get up before the kids, like that's rarely happens, but, you know, and, and getting my coffee and like reading the Bible, that is, that's really, really wonderful. I love that. Skipping breakfast and lunch, that stinks. Like that's not a lot of fun. Fasting is not something we naturally find pleasurable, and so we don't do it. The, the reality is, almost everyone, they don't fast not because they can't, because they won't. In the Bible, fasting means you abstain from food, sometimes water, for a spiritual purpose. Now, I know sometimes it's like, you know, hip and like say, oh, I'm going to fast from TV or social media. I'm going to fast from soda or caffeine. And those are all okay. But, but the, the literal meaning of fasting in the Bible is to abstain from food. It literally means to be hungry for a spiritual reason. And so we're going to assume that, you, that that's what we're talking about and that you can do it. And the question is, will you? The question is, will you do it? Will you fast? Let me try to convince you why you should fast why you should fast. There's going to be six reasons here. The first one is Jesus assumes you will. Jesus assumes you will follow his example and his command. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. So if you got your Bibles, now's the time. Sword drill on, on the ready. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Uh, if you need a Bible, slip your hand up. I think Robert's got some in the back. We're going to be using, if you're using the Bible app, the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus' pathway to his purpose went through the road and through, through the gateway of fasting. Why would yours be any different? If Jesus' pathway to the purpose God had for him was through fasting, why would yours be any different? You're wondering why God hasn't shown up, why he hasn't opened up that, that next step, why he's not making things clear. Well, if Jesus fasted, why should, why should you be any different? So he wants us to follow his example. He also assumes that we'll follow his command. Look at Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Like, you know, someone is like, No, I can't have a donut hole. I'm fasting this morning. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when, not if, when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face. I guess that's what they did back in the old days, the oil, you know, like I use like got to be glued like hair gel. I think it's kind of like the same thing, right? Like make yourself look nice the way you normally would so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who's in secret and your father who's in secret will reward you. There's a whole lot there, but the thing I want to just, just hit home is that Jesus assumes you will fast. If you're a follower of Jesus, he assumes you will fast. There's a little book on fasting called God's Chosen Fast by a guy named Arthur Wallace. And, Je and he says this, Jesus didn't say if you fast, as though fasting were something that disciples might or might not be led to do, as though it only applied to a select few, apostles or prophets, preachers or leaders. He stated unambiguously, categorically, and without qualification to all of his, the mass of his disciples, when you fast. He left us in no doubt that he took it for granted that his disciples would be exercised to obey the leading of the Spirit in this. For Jesus to be a Christian means to be someone who from time to time abstains from food for a spiritual purpose. That's the first reason. Second reason, you need to repent. Joel 2, 12 through 14, we're going to get there in just a second. Repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to do a U-turn. It's to change your mind and to change your direction. It's to recognize you're going the wrong way and turn around and go the right way. It's thinking like, I need to go toward the beach and I'm going west on sample and say, oh no, I'm going the wrong way. I won't get there that way. I need to turn around. So you're changing your mind, recognizing you're wrong and responding by turning the other way. It's turning away from sin, selfish desire and changing your mind and changing your direction and heading toward the way that God has called you to go. When Jonah was called to preach to the people of Nineveh, it says in Jonah 3, 4, and 5, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city, and he proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. All throughout the Bible, the practice of repentance is paired with fasting. Fasting. 
It's abstaining from food. It's, it's, it's bringing, willingly suffering a little to turn away from the suffering of sin that, that you've been engaging in. Sometimes you hear preachers say sort of like, the best is yet to come, sort of like a cliche now, the best is yet to come, the best is yet to come. And, and the reality is if you're running away from God, the best is not in front of you, but it's behind you on the pathway of repentance. If you're running away from God, the best is not yet to come. The best is behind you where God is. Joel 2, 12 through 14. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. You need to repent. You need to turn. There's stuff in your life. This is the first major time in your life you do this. It's called being converted. It's like you used to not be a Christian. Now you're turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus. And you are now a Christian following in the way of Jesus. But we all get turned aside and turned astray in various ways. And we need to turn away from that and turn toward God. And the way he's prescribed to do that is often paired with fasting. There's a psychoanalyst named Stephen Gross, and he's pointed to some research that shows that when people hear a fire alarm, they don't get out of the building. They stand around and talk, wondering what the fire alarm's about, if this is real, what's going on. He tells stories from the second tower of 9-11 with the alarms going off and people tragically not exiting the building. And, and stories like, like a soccer stadium in England in the 80s, people, you know, the, the fire alarms going off and people not responding immediately with tragic consequences. Why? And his point is that people don't like to change. People don't like to change. They don't like to change. Even when the alarms are going off, they stop and think, do I really need to do this? We don't like change. We don't like repentance. It's uncomfortable. Any of you have ever driven with a man in a car who's going the wrong way? It's, it's hard to change, right? Fasting forces us to acknowledge our sin because when our bellies are empty of food and we're faced with the living God, it brings things into a whole new level of clarity. A couple of years ago, I was struggling with anger and um, just getting disproportionately frustrated with small things and, and just getting getting way more upset than, than I should. Not righteous anger, just, just sinful anger. And I decided I needed to repent. And so what I did is I spent three days and I fasted from everything but coffee because I'm not that spiritual. And I fasted for three days and I read a book about anger and I, I sought the Lord and I sought his presence. And the first day was like, I got, I was, I was so hungry. I was so grumpy. And I like got really like frustrated with Laura and I like yelled and I like was like raising my voice and like just like really like the the problem just emerged. Like the fasting brought it to the surface. And then I I I think I ended up taking our kids to the park and I'm sitting there thinking, what a jerk. 
I'm fasting that God would help me repent of my anger. And I just got really, really angry. Like clearly God's got some stuff to do in these next couple of days. And I did, I read this book and I sought the Lord and I still sometimes have anger problems, but it's honestly, it's a lot better than it was before I fasted. It wasn't like a magic pill, but it was like the spirit used that to renovate my heart to be just a little bit more like Jesus. So what do you need to repent of? And fasting is the pathway of repentance. Third, you need to seek God. You need to seek God. Second Chronicles 20, 1 through 4. Now, I know everybody's favorite book of the Bible is Second Chronicles, so you know right where it is. We're going to get there in just a second. This is the other side of the coin from repentance. You don't just turn away from, but you turn toward. You turn from and you turn to. You turn away from sin and self and turn toward God. This could be prompted by a sin issue, or it could just be that life and stuff is overwhelming, and you know you need God. 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 4. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, together with some of the Mayunites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, uh, the nation of God's people hundreds of years before Christ. It says, people came and they told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you. They are already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Like that means they're close, okay? That's what that means, they're close. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him, the Lord. The Bible's filled with stories. Moses on the mountain. Esther and the Jews in the story of Esther. Anna in the temple before the arrival of the Messiah. Of men and women who sought the Lord through fasting. If you really want to seek the face of God, if you really want to experience the presence of God, then you should do what Jesus did and what saints throughout the Bible did, and that is to Abstain from food for a season of time, a temporary amount of time to seek the Lord. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15, there was, so so what what had happened is throughout the, the, the Jewish faith like development from the end of the Old Testament to the time of Jesus, which is like 400 years, these practices had developed to where a spiritual Jew would fast twice a week. Um, but Jesus' disciples, Jesus was the rabbi, and they were following Jesus, walking with Jesus, and they didn't fast at all. They didn't fast at all. And so some disciples of John the Baptist come and say, how come, how come some, some, some come up and say, why did John's disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast? And he says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, but when the, wedding, when the bridegroom is gone, then they will fast. And so what he's saying is, the point of fasting is to seek me, but when I'm here, you don't need to fast. But when I'm gone, that is, i.e., right now, for us, you must fast. There's been times in my life where I've just felt absolutely clueless. I just had no idea what to do. I didn't know where God was calling me. I felt discouraged and, and unclear. And there have been a number of times where I would fast for a day, two days, three days, and seek the face of God. And you want to know, at the end of every one of those, I didn't really have more clarity than I did when I started. So there you go. That's my advertisement for fasting. No, 
what would happen is I wouldn't have more clarity by the end of those three days, but over the course of the next few months, things, the clouds kind of began to part and the lights started to come on a little bit and I started to be able to think and see more clearly. And it's almost like fasting and seeking God in those moments was sort of like plowing the soil and sowing the seed. And over time, over the next months, the, the seed began to grow and to sprout and clarity began to show we fast not for God's presence with a T, but for his presence with a C. Not for his hand, but for his face. Not for his blessing, but for him as the blesser. To seek him, not seek something from him. Number four, you need to fast because you need to deny yourself and submit to God. This is a lot like repentance, but, but with, with sort of the, the more focus of denying yourself. Not so much forsaking a sin, but just learning that you don't have to get exactly what you want and what you feel like having all the time. Because when lunchtime rolls around and you're hungry and you have every right to eat something and you say no, you're saying, I am not the king of the world. I don't always need what I want and feel that I need. And God is king and he'll provide for me. There was a day in the life of the, of the Jewish people called the Day of Atonement and they would take these two goats, and they would take one and they would slaughter it as a sacrifice. And then the second goat, uh, the, the priest would put his hands on the head of the goat and basically lay upon the goat, symbolically, the sin of the people, and then send the goat out into the wilderness. This is why it's, this is where we get the word scapegoat, right? The, the goat that heads out with the sins of the people and takes them symbolically out of the camp. And Leviticus, I know everyone, that's another one everyone loves, is Leviticus. Leviticus 16, 29, verse uh, 29 through 31 says, This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work, both the native and the alien who resides among you. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, Jesus came to save us by being crucified and dying on the cross for our sins. Anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him will be forgiven, given eternal life. Maybe you've never done that, and that's the step. That's your next step today. And Jesus says, anyone who has followed in his path and turned from their sin and trusted in him, if they want to follow him, they must likewise, he says, take up their cross and follow me. What does that mean? The cross is a symbol of execution, of death. They must put an end to their life. I mentioned earlier, fasting is found in all religions. But one thing is that the Jewish people, and you look in the historical records, they fasted for dramatically different reasons. And the reasons the Jews fasted was not just for religious blessing, but to submit themselves to God. That was that verse in Leviticus just showed. The most prompt, one, one scholar says, the most prominent feature and one which is singular to the Old Testament of fasting is that it sub expresses submission to God. You need to submit to God. You need to tell God that he's king and you're not. And so this is a simple way of showing that. 
that I need you more than I need food. That I will deny myself and I will submit to your lordship as king. Fifth reason, people need your intercession. People need your intercession. Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. This one I'm actually got to turn to. I don't have it in my notes. Um, Isaiah was a prophet of Israel about 700 years before Jesus. And the people would undertake these, these spiritual fasts. And Isaiah comes to them. Isaiah 58, verse 1, it says, Cry out loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek after me day after day and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. And this is them asking, why have we fasted? But you haven't seen. We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Jesus, and, then, and then the Lord responds, Look, you do as you please on the day that you fast. You oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife and strike viciously with your fist. You can't fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Verse 6. Isn't this the fast that I choose? To break the chains of wickedness. So all that summarized in this way. He's saying, you all forsake food and you don't think for a second, maybe the food I'm not eating could go to someone who's hungry. You're fasting with purely selfish motives at heart. And God says, I do not find it pleasing. It's not pleasing to me when you fast solely with selfish motives. We don't just fast because we need breakthrough. We need help. We need hope. We need healing. We fast for others because they need breakthrough. They need help. They need hope. They need healing. Fasting is a way to intercede. And people need your intercession. They need you to bring them before the Father. They say, I'm abstaining from food for the sake of this person and this situation, for the oppressed and the afflicted. Last reason, it's how God mobilizes missionaries and leaders. It's how God mobilizes missionaries and leaders. There's a couple of places in the book of Acts where we see the early church fasting and God using that to spark the movement that changed the world. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Thursday mornings at 6.30, we have a men's Bible study at Panera Bread. Just a little plug for that, if you can make it. Recently, we've been talking about the life of Paul. And Paul was a man 
who for the course of 15 years went back and forth across the known world, the Roman Empire, walking and sailing and telling everyone he could about Jesus, doing what we are doing here, planting new churches, telling people about Jesus, they get saved, they start this new church, then he goes to the next town, tells them about Jesus, they get saved, they start a new church, and he goes on and on down the line. And we see that he does this from Acts 13 through Acts 20. And the movement that started it all, the greatest missionary in human history who spread the gospel through the Roman world, his mission was commissioned as the church gathered to pray and fast. The movement of Christianity that spread through the world and without which we wouldn't be here. If Paul hadn't spread the gospel through the Roman Empire, there's no way, if he couldn't take the gospel to Ephesus, there's no way it's making it to South Florida. But he did, and that's how God used, that's how God spread the gospel through the world and the way it was sparked by a group of disciples who were fasting. And they fasted, and the Spirit spoke, and then they fasted again, and then sent them off. This is the way God gets his mission done. If our mission is to help people find life like God intended by bringing people to God in wholehearted worship through the cross, bringing people together in authentic community and mobilizing people on a joyful mission that God has given them in the world, it's not going to happen apart from the power of God. And the power of God is accessed in part through prayer and fasting. The disciples fasted and it sparked the evangelization of the Roman Empire. What might God do through our fasting? Also on Thursdays at our men's Bible study, 6.30 a.m. at Panera Bread in Deerfield. A little plug there. Ding, ding. We were talking about uh, leadership in the church. We were talking about Titus and the, the, the qualifications for elders or pastors in the church. And what we see in the book of Acts is that whenever they commission elders, part of the process was fasting. Acts 14.23. When they appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There was a, um, a day back in November of 2017. We were going to be having our first interest meeting for Cross United Church on a Saturday. And I was spending most of that week... Now, the way I fast a lot of times is I'll fast from breakfast and lunch, and then I'll eat dinner. And I'll, oh, that's kind of... You know, I'll spend my day fasting, seeking the Lord, and then break the fast at dinner. We'll talk about kind of strategies in a minute. But that's what I was doing. Like every day leading up to it, I was fasting from breakfast and lunch. And it was a Wednesday, and I'm fasting, praying, and just seeking the Lord. I don't remember even exactly what I was doing, but I wasn't thinking about, you know, the interest meeting per se. I was working on something else. And I get a text from a friend of mine who's a pastor. And he says, hey, I have a guy I know who might want to help uh, and be interested in helping get your new church started. And he sent me the contact info for a guy named Gary. And I texted Gary or emailed Gary and said, hey, we're having this interest meeting on Saturday. And I met Gary and Marion for the first time at like 5 p.m. on Saturday. They, they came in. I said, hello, nice to meet you. And they were, I think, the second family to commit to the launch team for Cross United Church. They left before I could even really get to know them. And all of that was, that all kind of came together on a day when I was fasting. 
And I don't know what God would have done if I hadn't been fasting that day, but all I do know is that I was fasting that day and that's what happened. And I can point to tons of stories like that where things happen coincidentally, so to speak, on days when I'm fasting and they don't seem to happen as often on days when I'm not fasting. And in God's providence, somehow he uses that to accomplish his goal, to mobilize missionaries, to bring leaders into the church and to accomplish his mission. So you should fast. And hopefully I've convinced you of that. Um, Now, how should you fast? Let's talk about five steps or five strategies. How should you fast? Number one, start small. Start small. Skip lunch one day. Um, fast from breakfast and lunch. Like I said, that's something I do. That's probably my most common pattern of fasting. Uh, some of you have heard of the Daniel fast. It's like trendy for health and stuff. Uh, and it's, it's like fasting from certain types of food. And that's, that's, that's a good way to start as well. As long as it's primarily a spiritual purpose and not a physical purpose. If you're fasting to lose weight rather than to seek the face of God, then yeah, like that's good, but you got to be primarily focused on the spiritual purpose that we talked about uh, a minute ago, all of the reasons why you should fast. So start small, skip lunch, skip breakfast and lunch, do one day. Don't, don't try to like, you know, do the whole thing and do like a 40-day fast if you've never fasted in your life. Start small. Second, have a plan. Have a plan. So one of the things like most, you know, it's just most, um, one of the best things to do is when you feel yourself getting hungry or wanting something to eat, you just turn that into a prayer. And when you feel that, you take that as God reminding you to pray. Oh man, I really would love to have lunch. Lord, and whatever you're fasting for, maybe you're repenting of your anger, maybe you're repenting of your lust, maybe you're seeking clarity, maybe you just want to get closer to God, maybe a friend of yours is really struggling and you're interceding for them. Whenever the the hunger, whenever the desire to eat strikes you, have that be an alarm to pray. The other, another thing to do is to double or triple up on your Bible reading. So if you're doing the F260 plan, ding, ding, by the way, never too late to start, to uh, start reading the Bible for yourself. Decide, I'm not going to just do one day, I'm going to do three days. And during my normal lunchtime, I'm going to read three chapters of the Bible and think about it and pray over it. Um, take time when you would normally be eating, not just when you want to eat, but the time you know, if maybe it's 20 minutes or however long it is, and use that time and specifically sanctify that time, set that time apart for the Lord. And then have a specific purpose for your fasting. Like I said, maybe it's seeking God for repentance. Maybe it's just seeking him to, to, to know his presence. Maybe it's intercession or whatever it is. Make sure there's a specific purpose for your fasting and not just like, okay, I'm supposed to fast because it's what Christians do. What do I do now? I'm hungry. I'm miserable. If you have a specific reason, it's going to be a lot more fruitful and a lot more enjoyable. Third, make it a habit. Make it a habit. Okay, so you're going to re- hear this sermon and you're going to be like, yeah, that was good. I'm going to fast. You're going to skip lunch on Tuesday and then you're going to forget all about it for the rest of your life. Don't do that. Make it a habit. Make it a practice that you do. Make it a practice of your spiritual life. Just like you try to read the Bible, you try to pray consistently, make fasting a habit. I don't want to lay down some sort of extra biblical law on when that should be. Maybe, maybe it's once a week. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, just make it a regular part 
of your spiritual discipline. And so someone could say, when was the last time you fasted? And you would say, oh, I did it la I did last month. Or I'm fasting on Wednesday. Or I'm fasting for three days um, next month. Or whatever it is. Te make it a habit. Fourth, team up. Team up. Uh, and we're going to talk about this more as a church. But don't fast by yourself. Fast with others. Make it a corporate practice. That's often how you see it in the Bible. It's not just Jesus and me together, but it's a corporate activity. A few years ago at, at our previous church, we had a three-day fast. Um, I, I think it was around Easter. And um, the whole church was fasting for three days. And every night, every evening, we had people and we gathered at the church and we would pray and sing some songs and just seek God together. The first night... I went to the prayer meeting. Laura stayed home with the kids. And I got a text from Laura that Adeline had prayed to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. The first night of our corporate fast. I have friends, their church right now is literally doing a 21-day fast. You want to feel unspiritual, go hang out with the pastor. His church is doing a 21-day fast. I'm like, oh my goodness. I've never personally done a 21-day fast. But that leads me to the fifth thing. Dream big. Dream big. Start with lunch, but like think, man, wouldn't it be awesome to actually do a 21-day fast or a 40-day fast to really seek the face of God? Now, the reality is if once you get longer than about three days, you should probably talk to your doctor and kind of have a plan, um, you know, make sure everything's going to be good for you. Very, very rarely can people not fast for at least a day or three days uh, but be, be wise about it. Don't do a 40-day fast and like die of starvation and like get mad at me in heaven or something, okay? So like be wise about it. Dream big though. What could God do? What could God do? Work up from one day to three days to seven days to 21 days to maybe 40 days. Who knows what God is going to call you to do? Very few people um, uh, get that far, but maybe you'd be one of, the, one of them. This is not a spiritual elite practice. This is basic Christianity 101. In the Lord of the Rings, there's a mysterious character in, in, in the early part of the story named Strider. And if you know the story, you've seen the movies or read the books, you know that Strider's real name is Aragorn. And this, the books have been out for like 75 years and the movies have been out for like 15. So if I'm spoiling it for you, it's your fault, not mine, okay? And Aragorn is the rightful heir of the throne of Gondor. The problem is he doesn't want to take the throne and his king's sword has been shattered and is broken. And in the book and the movie, they're slightly different the way it happens. But what happens is they reforge the sword. And in the movie version, it's really powerful because the third movie, um, he's supposed to lead this army uh, to, to fight the, 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 the enemies of Gondor. And he says, they won't follow me. And the, 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 the elf guy, Elrond, rips off the, the, the sheath and says, they will follow the king of Gondor. And it's this big sword. And he takes this army and he leads them as king because the sword has been reforged. Now, don't over apply this because fasting is not the sword of God. The Bible is the sword of the spirit. And it is powerful regardless whether or not you fast. The Bible's powerful. But I wonder if we don't experience its power because we don't connect it to the practices of prayer and fasting. I wonder if restoring fasting to your life 
could be like rediscovering a spiritual superpower, a spiritual power tool to experience the power of God and the presence of God in a fresh way. So then the question is, will you fast? Will you begin to put a plan in place to seek God through fasting? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the practice of fasting, even though it's something maybe we forget about or we don't necessarily look forward to, we think it's for super elite, like special forces Christians. Lord, it is a a basic part of our Christian toolkit that you've given us. And so I pray you would just, for each person here, impress upon them exactly the way that they should implement this practice in their life to make it a regular habit of their spiritual life and to see what what you're going to do through it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.